Well, Gonzaga has had more struggles than usual this year, but at least things aren't as bad as they are in Lexington, where John Calipari is fully on the hot seat. What does Kentucky's disaster season mean for Mark Few's squad? You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates through another season of Gonzaga Hoops. We are talking John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats to open up the show today before we finish up with a preview of BYU, Gonzaga's opponent on Thursday, and five keys to a victory at the Marriott Center. Got to start the show, though, with Coach Cal after their embarrassing, embarrassing loss at home to South Carolina. South Carolina was 115 spots farther back in Ken Palm, not farther than Kentucky, Mind you, 114 farther spots than any other team in the SEC. They are far, far and away the worst team in the SEC. And they came into Rupp Arena, jumped out to a 13-2 lead, and basically won wire to wire. Uh, The final score only looks like a three-point game, which makes it look better than it was. This was basically a 10-15 to point lead for the, excuse me, for South Carolina, the Gamecocks all game long uh, Calipari's team made a little bit of a late push to make things kind of interesting but at the end of the day they got an opportunity late game execution was just very very poor uh, so was early game mid game all game execution for Calipari and the Wildcats was really really poor uh, quite honestly this might be the worst regular season loss uh, in Kentucky basketball history at least in coach Calipari's tenure and speaking of coach Calipari's tenure it hasn't been great It hasn't been great. This team, obviously, I think some of the the blood started really boiling last year when they lost as a 15, lost to a 15 seed as a number two seed. Of course, that was to St. Peter's who went on that very epic run uh, behind coach Shaheen Holloway. But this year, Kentucky might not even make the NCAA tournament. I I mean, they are squarely on the bubble after this loss. This is a a really, really challenging, struggling team. They returned the National Player of the Year. I know a former host of the Locked On Zags podcast in front of the show, Stephen Carr, tweeted this, and I don't know if he ever got an answer to it, but I'm not sure if a National Player of the Year has ever returned to school and then not made the NCAA tournament. If that has happened, it was a long, long time ago because I don't think it has happened in a very, very long time, maybe ever, uh, but it looks like that could be the situation uh, that Calipari, or excuse me, that Shibwe is running into uh, as a member of Kentucky's squad. Uh, so I kind of want to talk about what this means for Gonzaga this season and obviously the notable reason that it comes up is because it's one of Gonzaga's allegedly signature wins and now that win continues to kind of be devalued as we have seen Kentucky again this is probably not an NCAA tournament team it's mid-January things can change I I mean North Carolina did not look like a particularly good team uh, at this time last year they'd suffered some really embarrassing losses they ended up sneaking into the tournament as an eight seed went all the way to the national championship game Uh, last year Kansas lost by 25 points to Kentucky and then they ended up winning the national championship so I don't want to get too far ahead of our britches but if you've been watching any Kentucky basketball, you can tell things are down bad right now in Lexington. Uh, for Gonzaga, it means that their win over Kentucky doesn't hold up all that well. But fortunately for Gonzaga, most of the rest of the games that they have played, the marquee games that they have played, have actually held up pretty well. 
The Zags win over Michigan State has held up fine. Most people kind of, I don't want to say they throw that game out entirely, but because it was played in an aircraft carrier, I think there's an understanding that, hey, that was just a really weird, wonky game. But Michigan State kind of rose up the rankings pretty quickly, had a really nice start to the season, faded a little bit, but have looked better as of late. So that's still a win that's going to hold pretty well for the Zags. Uh, And then they have two really, really huge wins that have aged exceptionally well. That is against... Sean Miller and the Xavier Musketeers, and of course, Nate Oates' Alabama team. Uh, Alabama looks like a top five team in the entire country. Uh, If they win at Arkansas this evening, they could end up being a top three team in the country for the Zags to have secured a victory over that team. They dropped 100 points in Birmingham. A fantastic performance from the Bulldogs. If If Alabama continues to play the way they have played, that will continue to age like fine wine for the Zags. And then the win over Xavier has looked really, really good. At the time, it was an unranked Xavier team. They were getting a handful of votes for the NCAA tournament. They weren't, or excuse me, for the AP poll, weren't really looking like a super strong player, super strong contender. Uh, Gonzaga kind of struggled down the stretch in that game, but by and large, they they jumped out to a lead and maintained it for the majority of the contest. Uh, now Xavier looks like a really, really good team. Uh, look like a three seed, maybe a four seed in the NCAA tournament at this point, second or third best team in a, in a, a surprisingly deep Big East this season. So that's, an, that's a win that has aged very well for Gonzaga. So the Kentucky win, not looking so good. Fortunately, Xavier and Alabama and to an extent Michigan State are kind of propping them up. And then I think another key thing is it's always important to, to look at how your eight, your wins have aged, but it's also important to look at your losses. And for Gonzaga, they don't have any bad losses. Baylor looks like their worst loss right now. It was a very, very close game. And Baylor's still good. They've dropped a few games recently, but they've dropped games to very, very good teams. Uh, obviously, Baylor's biggest loss was that massive loss to Marquette. But other than that, they have played well. They still look like a very, very solid team that has a, a real chance of going to the Sweet 16 or uh, the Elite Eight or even more than that. So that's not a loss that has aged particularly poorly. Purdue and Texas, uh, those losses looked worse at the time. Both of those losses have actually aged well. Uh, you still don't like getting pounded by 20-plus points, especially in a neutral site game like they did against Purdue. But Purdue was the number one team in the country for a long period of time this year. They have fallen off since their loss to Rutgers, but they're still a very solid team. Texas, of course, has undergone significant amounts of turmoil for a variety of reasons uh, most notably of course Chris Beard's uh, eventual firing for domestic violence which was the correct decision by Texas but that has kind of put their team in a bit of a tumultuous position but they're still a top 10 maybe top five team in the entire country so none of Gonzaga's losses look bad most of their wins have aged pretty well the Kentucky win has not aged well but I don't think it's going to be too damaging for the Bulldogs as they continue to power through WCC conference play the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to talking more about the Zags and their upcoming matchup against BYU, I want to talk about what this means for Gonzaga's six-year series that they scheduled with Kentucky. Uh, there was always kind of a joke that, hey, maybe Gonzaga and Kentucky will – maybe Calipari finally was willing to schedule this because he knows he's not going to be at Kentucky much longer, and that looks like the case. <laughs> it looks like that might be the situation here. I'd be pretty surprised if Calipari got canned in the middle of the year, in part because – Kentucky has the top-ranked recruiting class in the entire country by a lot. For the record, their 2023 recruiting class has number one, number two, number four, and number nine ranked recruits in the class, according to 24-7 Sports. This is a loaded, loaded class coming to Kentucky. I don't think the Wildcats personnel is going to want to do anything to jeopardize all four of those players ending up in Lexington next year. Uh, But at the same time, If Coach Cal can't get the most out of the players that he has on the roster, what is the point of keeping him around just because he's bringing in high-level talent? It's an interesting conversation, one that Kentucky's front office and boosters and everybody involved in those decisions are going to have to think really long and hard about uh, whether it's worth trying to find another coach, whether they go after 
somebody like Ed Cooley at Providence, maybe even get real weird and go after Rick Pitino at Iona, uh, perhaps Jerome Tang, who's having a fantastic season at Kansas State, longtime assistant under coach Scott Drew. But by and large, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this impacts Gonzaga's series. It's not going to get canceled. All right. It, likely won't get canceled. It just means that Gonzaga, uh, Mark Few, is going to be playing Kentucky with probably, at least for a a good chunk of these games, uh, somebody else manning the helm for the Wildcats. All right, the Zags are taking on BYU on the road for the final time as a conference foe. You know they are going to absolutely bring the heat. More on that game after a word from today's sponsor, Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are fully in action while the NFL inches closer and closer to the playoffs. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still in the patent, still Locked On Zags, and I want to sincerely thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, we're talking Zags Cougars here Thursday, January 12th, 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. The game will be on ESPN, and it is going to be at the packed house of the Marriott Center, The Rock, where BYU plays. They are going to bring the absolute noise for this contest. The final time they host Gonzaga as a WCC opponent. Uh, I think that Mark Few and Mark Pope have expressed interest. I know Mark Few has expressed interest in continuing this series uh, as a a home-and-home type matchup going forward. Uh, It makes sense for both sides. Obviously, Gonzaga wants to uh, continue to play Power 5 programs going forward. BYU, while they probably won't be among the most competitive teams in a ridiculously loaded Big 12 that's about to add Houston and a handful of other teams. Uh, It's still a nice game for the Zags, the regional rivalry to an extent. Uh, These two teams have played each other really close in the past, so I'm hoping that Gonzaga and BYU will continue to play each other in a home-and-home environment uh, for the foreseeable future. But for now, this is the last time the Zags are playing in the Marriott Center for the at least for the foreseeable future. So this is going to be a really, really fun environment. Gonzaga has already, of course, played two tough road games against San Francisco and Santa Clara, struggled in both of those games. You hope that that experience has helped them prepare for what's going to be a really tough environment on Thursday. So let's talk a little bit more about the BYU Cougars. They are 13-6 and six on the season, not exactly the record that you would want them to have at this point in the year. They are still 75th by, by Ken Palm's ranking, so they're not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination most times. A WCC team has five or six losses. They're probably not in the top 100. That's kind of a testament to uh, a, a good scheduling by Mark Pope to get some challenging games on the docket for BYU. Uh, and of course, just the overall strength of the conference uh, and the teams that are in it. Uh, I usually, when you look at adjusted offense and adjusted defense on Ken Palm, obviously. 
Every team's a little bit different, but uh, it's unusual to see teams with a huge disparity between the two. BYU is about as big as I can remember seeing in a long time. Per adjusted offense on Ken Palm, they are 172nd in the nation. That is almost exactly the midpoint between the very top and the very last team in all of college basketball. So they are a distinctly average Division One NCAA team per offense. However, their adjusted defense, 28th. So they are a borderline top 25, clearly top 30 defensive team in the entire country while being decidedly below that offensively. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out with Gonzaga, a team that obviously has been very, very good offensively this year, but has not been nearly as good defensively. So you basically have Gonzaga's good offense versus BYU's good defense, uh, and then Gonzaga's not so good defense against BYU's not so good offense. So we'll kind of see how that shakes out in this matchup. Uh, it's kind of going to be a battle of, of those two sides. Can, you know, can Gonzaga put enough pressure on BYU defensively to stop them? Uh, can BYU or can Gonzaga find enough ways to score against BYU's really, really solid defense? Um, BYU started the season three and three, a really rough start to the year. Quite honestly, they had losses to San Diego state, not a bad loss, by any stretch of the imagination there. San Diego State's an NCAA tournament team, a potential uh, four or five seed in the NCAA tournament. They also have a loss to USC, who is probably not an NCAA tournament team, barring a surprise run through the Pac-12 tournament. And then they have a loss to Butler, which is a bad loss. Butler looks not good to start the season. They, they're one of the worst teams in the Big East, and that, that loss has continued to age poorly for BYU. They also barely beat Idaho State, a Ken Palm 300-plus team. That was a 60-56 to 56 game. It was the season opener for BYU. You could tell they were still adjusting to life without Alex Barcelo, trying to figure out how to put all the pieces together. Uh, but it was a really tough start to the year for BYU. They've rebounded with some really nice wins as well. They have a win over Dayton, which Dayton hasn't looked great, but it's still a quality mid-major program. They have a win over Creighton, which is going to be a fantastic win for them. It was a win over a ranked Creighton team at the time. Creighton has since fallen out of the rankings and has struggled a little bit with some injuries. Ryan Kalkbrenner missed a few games. That really hurt them. But I think that win is going to continue to look well for look good for BYU as Creighton kind of gets healthy and starts to make a nice push in the Big East. And they also have a win over Utah. And Utah has been one of the best and most surprising teams in the Pac-12. They're still a borderline NCAA tournament team, so it's not an elite win necessarily for BYU, but it's a solid win and a win that I think will continue to age well for the Cougars as well. Uh, they also have ugly, ugly losses. We talked about the early season losses to San Diego State, USC, and Butler, uh, but they have some worse losses than that. Unfortunately, they got a loss to South Dakota and a loss to regional rival Utah Valley out of the WAC. Utah Valley is a good WAC team. Do not get that, that uh, mixed up in any capacity this is a good team a likely ncaa tournament team uh, i think lenardi's latest bracket had them as a 13 seed so not just an ncaa tournament team but like not among the worst uh, of the automatic qualifying bid conferences so uh, not a terrible loss necessarily for byu but also not a good loss either not not a loss that you want to take if you have any aspirations for making the ncaa tournament which byu as a six loss team probably needs to win the wcc tournament or at least beat gonzaga and saint mary's three out of four times. Uh, that's maybe the only way they sneak into the big dance. Uh, they're three and one right now in WCC conference play wins over some of the bottom feeders in the conference, win over Portland, win over Pacific, win over San Diego. Their loss is to a good but not great LMU team. Uh, again, LMU is on the up and up and maybe a top five team in the WCC, but that's still a really tough loss for the Cougars to take. Uh, the, 
again, they're, they're a high-scoring team or they're a decently high-scoring team. They average about 75 points per game. They're a very inefficient scoring team, which is part of the reason why their offense is rated so poorly. Uh, they're shooting under 45% from the field. Uh, they're shooting under 33% from deep. This is not a good outside shooting team. It's an inconsistent scoring team. Uh, they have four players averaging between 10.5 and 12.8 points per game, which is nice in the terms of it's hard to know who's going to be the guy who ends up beating you every night. Like they're, they're so balanced scoring wise that you don't, there's, there's, it's a little bit harder to game plan against teams like that, but you'd like to have a couple guys up around 15, 16 points per game. And then maybe a couple guys a little lower than that, not having anybody scoring more than 13 points per game. Again, it shows some, uh, some level of balance, but it also shows that they just don't have a go-to guy. They don't have a guy that can get the ball in his hands and just say, go get a bucket. They don't have that guy on this roster. And that's caused them a lot of problems in late game situations. It's caused them a lot of problems when they get down early and they're just trying to crawl back into a game. They don't have a guy they can go to and just have him get a bucket. Our best player on this team is Fusini, Fusini Traore. He's been a fantastic big for them for a couple of years now. He's averaging, he's their leading score at 12.8 points per game. He's also averaging about eight boards per game. He's shooting 60% from the field and 78% from the free throw line as a big, uh, a really, really tough player. He's a stocky power forward, Charles Barkley looking guy, gobbles up rebounds, good low post score, efficient around the rim. Uh, he gives up about five inches to Drew Timmy. So we'll see how that kind of shakes out in this matchup, but he is a stout dude. A tough guy to push around, really, really physical player. I really enjoy watching him play, and I think he's going to give Gonzaga some problems in this contest. Uh, next player that I want to talk about for BYU is Coastal Carolina transfer Rudy Williams. How uh, Rudy Williams kind of came in as the de facto replacement for Alex Barcelo. There wasn't a ton of optimism that he would be the same level of player. He had a really horrible start to the season, ended up getting benched and then kind of played well on a bench role, which was a, a good decision by Mark Pope that paid off well uh, in terms of getting Williams' head right and kind of getting him back where he needs to be. He's still a very inefficient player. He's averaging 12 points per game, three assists, but 3.2 turnovers, uh, shooting under 45% from the field and under 31% from three. Uh, otherwise, Gideon George, 12 and six for him. He's been a kind of consistent, reliable third option for BYU. And then Spencer Johnson, their fourth scoring option, and they're really their, their primary option from beyond the arc. Uh, he's shooting just over 41% from three. He's a guy that this actually going to have to keep an eye on on the perimeter. A couple other notes for BYU. They are a, they turn the ball over a lot. Uh, turn the ball about 15 times per game. That's a really good thing for the Zach to take advantage of, which we'll talk about more in the third segment. And then of course, BYU also a very, very good rebounding team, which is going to be a huge key in this contest, which I want to talk about here again in the third segment. The Zach's are going to ha have their hands full with BYU's really ruckus crowd on Thursday. But if they follow these five keys, they should leave the state of Utah with a victory. We'll talk about them right after this. All right, segment three, Sony Patton still locked on Zach, still previewing Gonzaga's Thursday night bout with the Cougars of BYU at the Rock. Marriott Center in Provo, Utah, going to be a really fun game. I know Gonzaga fans are going to want to get their nitroglycerin pills out, as John Rothstein of CBS Sports would say, because they've played a couple of really tight games, and this one has the potential to be a, a game that's within five points for 38 out of 40 minutes. I think there's a reasonable chance that that happens, but uh, Gonzaga is the better team. There is a reasonable expectation that they should come in and win this one, uh, and here are some kind of keys, I think, to, to – for the Zags to secure a victory and then come out of the WCC with a 4-0 record uh, after this really tough three-game road stretch. 
Number one, you got to crash the glass. Like I said, BYU averages, they average 29 defensive rebounds a game. That is 18th in the country. 18th best defensive rebounding team in the country. You are one and done against the Cougars. You get a you get a good look early in the shot clock. You don't knock it down. They're going to gobble up the rebound. They're not going to let you get second chance opportunities. For the Zags, that means they have to be very aggressive at trying to crash the offensive glass or or it means you kind of give up on that and you just get back and avoid letting BYU get out in transition. BYU is not a great transition scoring offense. That's not really their strength. So I think for Gonzaga, the best kind of course of action here is to be pretty aggressive at trying to crash the offensive glass, of course, looking for easy shots around the rim, which are less likely to are more likely to create offensive rebounding opportunities if you have players around the rim, of course. Uh, long threes early in the shot clock, long twos, of course, those are the kind of shots that are unlikely to result in offensive rebound opportunities. So BYU is not a great offensive rebounding team. So I think for Gonzaga, if they can do a good job of crashing the defensive glass, keep BYU from getting second chance opportunities, it might be a game where neither team is getting a lot of those second chance opportunities, but that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as Gonzaga can be more efficient with the first shot opportunities that they get, which uh, by the metrics this so far this season, they have been. Number two, force turnovers and get out in transition. We've talked about getting out in transition a lot this season for the Zags. It's been a, a primary key. So many teams have attempted to stop Gonzaga from doing so and have been effective at that for this team. Uh, the best way to get out in transition against BYU, force them to turn the ball over. They do that a lot already. 15 times per game, like we said, Rudy Williams, their primary point guard. Three assists per game, but more turnovers per game, about 3.2 for him. Let's put Hunter Salas in the game. We've talked a little bit. We'll talk about this more in a future episode. Hunter Salas's minutes have dropped. We've seen him not playing as much in the last couple of games, despite him being the best on-pall perimeter defensive player Gonzaga has. Maybe you put him out on Rudy Williams and see if he can knock the ball loose a couple of times, get some free transition points that way. I think that's a nice way to quiet the crowd, to get some easy points against a team that's going to make it really hard to score in the half court. I think this is a big key for Gonzaga to force some turnovers, force BYU into making mistakes, and then punish them when they do make mistakes. If you want to win on the road in a tough environment, make the other team make mistakes. If they get to do what they want, if they get to control the pace, if they get to control the tempo, if they take care of the basketball, it makes the path to victory much, much more difficult. A third key for the Zags is avoiding cheap fouls. Let's not get in dumb foul trouble, right? We've seen Gonzaga do that a handful of times. I mentioned Hunter Salas and his minutes dropping, and there was some people who, who felt that he should have played more in the San Francisco game, even though he picked up three fouls and he got to sit for a while. And I, I can understand the, the, agree, the argument there, especially against Khalil Shabazz and Tyrell Roberts, but you got to avoid getting in foul trouble. And BYU is a good free throw shooting team. They're very good at getting to the free throw line. They're top 50 team in terms of free throw attempts on the season so far. For Gonzaga, BYU maybe won't kill them at the free throw line. They're not an elite shooting team, but they are good at getting to the line. But for the Zags, it's more about not having to go to your depth as much. Drew Timmy can't get in foul trouble in this one. The Zags are going to need his offense. They're going to need what he brings to the team. You can't have Hunter Salas in foul trouble. You can't have Rasir Bolton or Julian Strother in foul trouble. Like Those guys need to be out there playing 32, 33, 35 minutes for Gonzaga to pull a victory here. And if you have to go to Ben Gregg and Efton Reed and Dominic Harris uh, for large stretches of this game because of foul trouble, it could cause some problems. So no biting on pump fakes. Avoid fouling shooters. Avoid committing dumb over-the-back fouls, fouls away from the basket, offensive fouls, stuff like that. Uh, avoid the cheap fouls, and, and Gonzaga's players will be able to stay in this game a little bit longer. Fourth out of five keys for the Zags, keep your composure and tune out the noise. This place is going to be popping. 
I said that a handful of times already. We saw San Francisco, Santa Clara. They brought the house. They were they were loud. They were energetic. They felt they had a real chance to win those games. The Zags are a little bit down this year, and teams are out for blood. They are out for blood. You can bet that BYU, a team that has played spoiler to Gonzaga a lot in the past, you can bet they're going to be out to get this one. They want to win the final game in this WCC rivalry at the Marriott Center. Uh, the Zags have had to come from behind in two road games already in January. That will help them. The fact that they've had to do that will help them. The fact that they were down 10 in multiple points to both San Francisco and Santa Clara in a road environment, a hostile environment, with the crowd breathing down their neck, and they came back and won. That is a huge growth opportunity for the Zags. Now they got to do it again. Of course, the, the easiest way to avoid having to come back from a 10-point deficit on the road is to not get into a 10-point deficit in the first place, but it might happen. It might happen in this game, and if it does, Gonzaga needs to figure out how to avoid compounding mistakes. Don't get frustrated. Don't make dumb mistakes. Don't show your negative body language. And to be clear, this isn't something Gonzaga necessarily struggles with. I mean, again, they went down 10 to San Francisco and Santa Clara. There are a lot of really good teams in the country, really good teams in the country that would go down 10 to both those teams, and they may not come back and win. A lot of good teams wouldn't win those games. Maybe they'd win one, but they wouldn't win both. Gonzaga won both. They won both those games, and two different players kind of led them to victory. Rasir Bolton, monster second half against San Francisco, 21 points, game-winning shot with seven seconds to go. Nolan Hickman, borderline perfect against Santa Clara, 20 points, really nice game from him. Uh, for the Zags, find who's going to do that, who's going to be that player, who's going to will this team to victory, even if they get down, even if the crowd is breathing down their neck, even if they're feeling the pressure. And the last key to stick to that same point, I think I know who this guy's got to be, and I think it's got to be Julian Strather. I think it needs to be Julian. It's not just because he's not the, he wasn't the guy in the last two games, but uh, BYU is going to key in on Drew Timmy. Every team is keying in on Drew Timmy. They're going to find ways. Fusini Traore is a good player. He's a good defensive player. Uh, they got the depth. They got the, the ability to really do as best they can against Drew. I think he's going to have a rebound game. I don't think he's going to be as bad as he was against San Francisco necessarily, but he's going to struggle. It's going to be hard for him to get buckets, and I think – the biggest matchup issue for BYU is Julian Strother, how they're going to defend him, how they're going to try to stop him. He's got the ability to go down low, post some guys up. He's got the ability to, to find his stroke from beyond the arc, force BYU's defense out away from the rim by knocking down open threes. I think he's a tough matchup. Again, this is a top 30 defensive team, so they are uh, they don't struggle on that end of the floor, but I think Julian's size, his skill, uh, is going to be a really big matchup. I kind of foresee him having a game like he did against Xavier, where he had 23 points, 10 rebounds in that one. He had two key threes in the final two minutes of that game that really helped put the ice on the game and bury the Musketeers, and I think he needs to have another game like that for Gonzaga to make sure that they uh, they can secure a victory in this one. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Uh, don't forget to check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast if you haven't yet. It's hosted by myself, hosted by Isaac Shade of Locked On Tar Heels. We've got a ton of great guests on the show, fantastic coverage of all everything happening in college basketball, lots more coverage about John Calipari, Chris Beard at Texas, what's going on with those two programs, lots of conversation about the Big East uh, and the really, really good Big 12 as well. So check it out if you haven't yet. Go to YouTube, search Locked On College Basketball, hit that big red subscribe button while you're at it. If you haven't subscribed to Locked On Zags yet, go do that as well. It is very much appreciated. All right, I want to thank you all for listening, and go Zags.